Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second Talk Diplomacy podcast. My name is Ishan Busaredi, and here with me is Jacob. Uh, hello, everyone. Yes, I'm Jacob Houston, and I'm a writer for Talk Diplomacy. And before we start, um, we just wanted to, you know, issue a disclaimer because we know that this is a very, very controversial issue that we're going over concerning um, Armenia and Azerbaijan. So just just put that out um, right now. Um, but to start with, um, we, we're going to start by going over uh, Arme- Armenia from prehistory, um, from ancient times, um, into their conflict with uh, uh, in the Soviets and, you know, and then moving into Azerbaijan. So um, uh, Armenian history uh, begins with the uh, mythical legends and uh, war stories of Hike, who basically uh, originally lived in Babylon, but he uh, escaped due to the, uh, basically the oppressive king um, Titanid Bell, um, and he basically settled with you know a group of other people that he had gathered um, in, in in front of uh, Mount Ar- Ararat, and um, he basically uh, later killed Ty- Titanid Bell in battle, and you know that entire group formed what is today, you know, Armenians and their culture and their religions. Um, so basically, for centuries after this, um, Armenians kind of lived under like various rulers, especially, you know, the Hittites and the kingdom of like Uraratu. And um, they basically adopted like a pantheon of like gods, elements for the Ar- Armenian lang- language, and basically began to like solidify as like a cultural and political entity. So, you know, you have that main type of like nationalist, you know, they gain that, you know, as being independent. So later on, um, when you had the Roman Empire rising to power in the Middle East and that region around the Caucasus, um, Armenia kind of became the first country, uh, you know, in the world to formally adopt Christianity as a state religion. Um, where basically um, the ruler of Armenia at that time, King Tiridates III, basically converted to it in 301 AD. So this basically predated the Roman um, religious tolerance edicts from you know Gal- Galerius and Constantine, basically by more than ten or twelve years. So um, really, at the even at the beginning, you know, having that strong, you know with Christianity and independence, um, it really uh, tells um, when, especially, yeah, the Byzantine Arab Wars, which basically totally ravaged the Armenian countryside. So um, they united under Assad the first and basically fought the emirs who were supporting the uh, Byzantine empire. Um, and, it basically after after the Byzantine Empire fell, um, and with you know you have the Ottoman Empire, um, you have basically centuries later, uh, Russia um, basically pressed 
advancing towards the Caucasus Mountains, um, which they have been doing for many, many, for many, many years, um, seeking to give their empires sort of like a southern anchor by controlling the entirety of the high mountain range. So um, the Russians earlier on, the Armenians looked at the Russians like, you know, this is our opportunity to, you know, be with other Christians, you know, and they, you know, you had the Russians being a Christian nation and they pledged to protect the interests of Christians everywhere. And uh, basically that kind of turned into, it just wasn't, you know, what happened um, when Nicholas I basically annexed what most, you know, most of what is today Armenia from the Persians in 1828. And it kind of really did spark a lot of hope for people, you know, Armenians still living under Persia and the Ottoman Empire. And about 50,000 uh, people immigrated into Russian Armenia from, you know, the outlying regions. And it was pretty much for a time, like a place, you know, where you have freedom of thought for religion, especially Christianity, for most of the countries in the region, especially you have like the Ottoman Empire being predominantly Muslim. And uh, basically what happened was, even though this at first was true, Later on, um, it, Armenia really became like a militarized zone. And uh, really, because it was like, you know, near uh, Persia, and you eventually had like um, the Ottoman Empire. And while that conflict between Russia and the Ottoman Empire was brewing, Armenia really acted like, you know, like I said, that military demilitarized zone. And um, basically... Armenian nationalism was eventually distrusted and the Russians were very, very harsh on the people. And uh, they basically, um, the Russians really built a railroad from Georgia, which at this time was used to improve transportation and communication, but also interrupted a lot of like cultural Armenian, you know, lands, you know, giant, uh, uh, Christian, uh, you know, temples and areas. Um, so, you know, Russian rule kind of did give the Armenians greater access to European thought, but it wasn't really what the Armenian people were really looking for. Um, and uh, Ishan, you can, you know, expand um, on that. So even as uh, a lot of Armenia was occupied by the Russian Empire, which was a Christian entity as well. A lot of it was still being ruled by the Ottoman Empire, which was considered to be, at least in its glory days, relatively tolerant of uh, Christian minorities realizing how they could be utilized to their advantage and build upon the strong uh, tradition of Byzantium. However, uh, as the Ottoman Empire waned in World War I, there's a lot of genocide and uh, ethnic cleansing against the Armenians. I won't go too much into depth about that because that's not exactly related to this conflict between Armenia and Azerbaijan. However, um, it what happened is that Western Armenia, which was a traditionally Armenian region, which had, which was a large, large component of the Armenian 
national homeland was actually basically stripped of Armenians and absorbed into the Turkish fold. So what this did is it made Armenia a lot smaller. It uh, led to the demise of a lot of its population, which may account for, yeah, and also immigration to other countries may account for how much, how small the population of Armenia is and how small it is as a nation today. Now, Azerbaijan as well was part of the Russian Empire next to, um, next to Armenia. However, of course, it was generally a separate entity. Now, with the Azerbaijanis themselves, actually, um, they as a people group are actually quite interesting because they have mixed origins and somewhat unclear origins as well. So the modern Azerbaijani people are considered generally as, as Turkic people. However, they weren't always such. And the region of Azerbaijan actually was historically more part of greater Iran and like the Transcaucasus region. And it is theorized that the Azerbaijani people have Iranian origins. So they would be related to ethnic groups such as the Kurds, the Medians, Persians, and the Delamites. However, they seem to have been their own distinct group, possibly related to the Delamites. We're not really sure in the North. And um, however, as the Sajuk invasion came and it got conquered and Iran as a whole got conquered by the Sajuk Turks and then Sultanate of Rum was established in Anatolia, what happened is that it's because of a lot of perhaps the terrain of Azerbaijan or it's just its small distance across the uh, Caspian Sea possibly could have resulted in widespread settlement of the uh, the the Azerbaijani region by Turks and this could have caused the population to mix together and as the Turks were ascendant during this period of time it's possible that their culture either just naturally became superimposed or was superimposed by the Turkic authorities in the area and that uh, potentially caused its Turkic culture. However, it has lots of Iranian and uh, and uh, lots of Iranian and as well as Muslim, which could uh, be Arabic and many other influences uh, as a result of their religion, which of course was also the religion of the Seljuk Turks. Although it's possible during its Iranian past, the dominant religion was. Uh, Zoroastrianism. So anyway, now they became essentially Turkified and their fate as a result of being under Safavid rule. So what happened is that although the dominant Turkic power ended up becoming the Ottomans, the Azerbaijanis were mostly separated from the rest of the Anatolian Turks, which could have caused their, their differentiation as a separate group. Now, uh, one thing that sets them apart from the Anatolian Turks is that they are dominant Shia instead of Sunni is um, Muslims. So that, and that's the influence of the Safavid Iranian empire. So as a nation state, Azerbaijan hasn't really existed until very recently as it was absorbed into the Russian empire after their wars with the Safavid, with Safavid Iran. And uh, they were together with 
Armenia in that empire. And actually, they were never given an opportunity to become a separate entity like Armenia was because after the Ottoman Empire collapsed after World War I and the Treaty of uh, Severus sought to actually create an independent Armenia and Western Armenia, which was then uh, shut down and uh, reabsorbed into Turkey after the continued war of Turkish independence. And then uh, the Treaty of Lausanne. Now, they are, Armenia was still under uh, Turkish and Russian rule and uh, actually Soviet rule now pretty much. And uh, it became part of the Soviet Union. It was the Armenian SSR along with Azerbaijan, which was the Azerbaijani SSR. So what happened is they coexisted within the USSR. However, what happened is that a region of Armenia, Nagorno-Karabakh, known in Armenian as Artsakh, was actually put within the jurisdiction of the Azerbaijani SSR during the Soviet era. And uh, what they did is it, it uh, created animosity between the two groups because now Azerbaijan and there was a there was a uh, Turk there was definitely an Azerbaijani population there it was a mixed area although it's an Armenian majority so what happened is that now Azerbaijan is considered it as their territory and Armenians considered that the Soviet central government made an error and that they should rectify it which the Soviet central government didn't do because it was uh, busy with other things like um the opening up of uh, Gorbachev, and then of course they ceased to exist as a whole to solve that issue in any capacity. And um, so what happened is now, even before the Soviet Union collapsed, the two, two constituent republics, Azerbaijan and Armenia, began to fight and uh, within the, their own, that own country. But then as, it, as the union collapsed, it became a hard border which actually proved itself not to be a hard border because neither of them wanted to set a border because they didn't agree at all on any part of it. And that's the situation which remains today. It's all been a de facto border. Been a de facto, yeah. Um, and to, so, um, and yeah, to Ishan's point, um, you know, the under, you know, you had the under Bolshevik rule, you know, most of the fighting between the two countries, you know, was kept in check. Um, but after, you know, even, you know, like he had said before, before the Soviet Union collapsed, there was massive tensions. Um, and when it did collapse, uh, war basically erupted, uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan over, uh, the, uh, the region, um, that's called Nagorno corrupt, uh, wait, stop the recording. So the Soviet government basically established, you know, Nagorno-Karabakh. And basically, um, you know, after the uh, Soviet Union fell, you know, you had um, basically war um, over that specific region um, where, like Yishan said, most of that region, um, more than 95% of the population, you know, is ethnically Armenian, Armenian, so uh, within Azerbaijan. So when the war erupted, there was, you know, it left uh, roughly around 30,000 casualties and more than hundreds of thousands of refugees. And, uh, but by 1993, basically Armenia controlled uh, 
the region and basically occupied around like 20 to 30 percent of the surrounding Azerbaijani territory. So um, at, at around like 1994, Russia basically brokered a ceasefire, which until you know this day has kind of been in, remained in place since. So following the 1988 to 1994 war, which saw the establishment of Artsakh as a de facto independent country in the disputed Nagorno-Karabakh region, basically occupying all of it. Uh, what happened is that there have been several clashes over the disputed territory, which is still internationally de jure recognized as part of Azerbaijan, although many nations have voiced their support for Armenia without explicitly recognizing its claim. Um, there were the 2008 Marda clashes, and these are the all of these classes, clashes are not just in this region, Nagorno-Karabakh. A lot of them are actually on the other border areas of Armenia and Azerbaijan. So there was the 2008 Marda clashes, which were in that region, 2010 Nagorno-Karabakh clashes, there were the 2010 Marda-Kurd clashes, the 2012 border clashes, the 2014 clashes. There was also a helicopter shootdown um, by the Azerbaijani armed forces of an Armenian helicopter, killing all three crew members in November 12, 2014. Then there was the 2016 conflict, also called the uh, four-day war, and what happened is that um, Azerbaijan actually captured an area of the disputed area, a small, small area, but still significant, which I guess you could say is actually the a foreshadowing of what is to come because the current um, Azerbaijani president, Ilham Aliyev, is very much dedicated to supposedly, it depends on how you look at it, reclaiming this territory. And he has, he has uh, basically encouraged the growth of fervorous irredentism and nationalism, which is basically dedicated the whole country to taking back this region in a sense. And uh, Armenia likewise has basically dedicated themselves to defending it. Now, this was only a small, small gain, but this, it, but after four years, the full consequences of it would actually begin to show themselves. So there were also um, classes, clashes in 2018. Okay, and this was in, this is not in that region. This is actually on the border of Nakhchivan. And Nakhchivan is actually the non-contiguous detached portion of Azerbaijan, which is on the other side of Armenia. And the reason why this strange detached area is part of the Azerbaijani nation is because if you look at the area inhabited by ethnic Azerbaijani people, it's actually contiguous, except the part that is still owned by Iran, which is not occupied by Russia, is the part that connects Nakhchivan to uh, the mainland of independent Azerbaijan. So that is why it's separated. And um, anyway, this has been in, to a degree, 
a difficult area to defend because it's on the other side of Armenia, but Azerbaijan and Samad managed to defend it. And these clashes took place here. And the outcome of it was, um, was that um, Azerbaijan claims that it actually advanced and the, the, rest, the real details are actually very difficult to figure out. It's pretty murky. Um, but anyway, after that, there was the uh, July 2020 clashes. Okay, and these actually occurred on the same border between Armenia and Akhchivan and also the northern border um, of Armenia and Azerbaijan. And during these clashes, um, there were no territorial changes. It seems that actually Azerbaijan was repelled and it was only really minor fighting. However, that those minor clashes were actually followed up by the more significant 2020 war, which was a major defeat for Armenia, in which Azerbaijan actually occupied almost all of the disputed area, save for a small region, which is still under the sovereignty of Artsakh or control of Artsakh. And in fact, the movements essentially detached Artsakh from Armenia and they occupied almost its entire border, except for a small, small area, the Lachin Corridor and, uh, and also the Dadivank, excuse my pronunciation, if that might be incorrect, I'm not sure, monastery, which is guarded by Russian peacekeepers, which is uh, under the control of neither of them, actually. So this in this war, Azerbaijan took control of five cities, four towns, and 286 villages, as well as the Azerbaijan-Iran border. So this drastically changed the status quo because Azerbaijan, with the help of Turkey, um, alleged by Armenia, so Turkey hasn't necessarily admitted, but it seems that they did indeed assist Azerbaijan, uh, defeated Artsakh and Armenia, which were aided by Armenian volunteers from the immigrant diaspora around the world. Actually, I know there was there's a village in Lebanon, I think it was northern Lebanon, I'm not sure, where it's actually a majority Armenian village. And the mayor there has described that a lot of the people there who aren't even able to pay their own bills amid the Lebanese economic crisis actually sacrificed to donate to the Armenian government fund to aid the homeland, which I think is actually very patriotic. And also, um, yeah, I feel like that's surprising actually. There's very few immigrant communities, I think, who would go to the, those lengths. And some people like and French Armenians, for example, a lot of them actually went to fight on the side of Armenia, putting their own lives at risk for a country they don't live in, which is a, Quite amazing, honestly. I didn't expect that still happens in the modern world. Um, so this conflict lasted from September to November, so one month and two weeks of 2020. And this was a major defeat for Armenia. This is something which it's doubtful they could even recover from. Um, I think the focus now is turned back to just defending what they have. And 
I think that's getting challenged in the current ongoing border crisis, which is the 2021 to 2022 Armenia-Azerbaijan border crisis. So this started in May of 2021. It's lasted for seven months and four weeks. It's still going as of today, January 9th, 2022. And it's located at the Sunik province of Armenia, the Tavush-Tovuz border, which is in the north of Armenia and Azerbaijan. Also the uh, Gegarkunik province, which is in the center and as well as the Nakhchivan area. So it's basically all across the region, not, not in Nagorno-Karabakh. Now the, the threat has been brought to the mainland of Armenia. So this is a unique challenge for the Armenian leadership who are now right. not only dabbling in the controversial, debatable territory, this is their internationally recognized territory now. So this opens up a lot more actions that could be taken on the international stage. Um, Armenia appealed to CSTO, right. which is the Collective Security Treaty Organization, right? Which is yeah. headed by Russia for help as it is in danger and it, therefore it should be defended by the rest of the members. However, CSTO has just responded by saying we'll monitor the situation. So uh, what, do you, what do you think this, this response essentially puts Russia in the situation of like Russian influence there because they basically let them down now. So Armenia doesn't have an excuse to really stop itself from associating with the West more. Yeah, so, I mean, I do um, with uh, Russia basically promising um, even to, you know, defend Armenia if, you know, tensions basically spill over into basically another war, which would even destabilize the region more. It's a very, very complicated um, situation. And to be honest, um, it could really go either way because you can see Turkey basically, basically pledging to support Azerbaijan. And you see that in recent you know, developments between Russia and Turkey, you know, they have been trying to rebuild or try to, you know, really increase relations between the two countries, you know, ever since, you know, the Cold War. And that could really, you know, increase tensions between Turkey and Russia, which, of course, would be horrible. And um, basically, I think, you know, without successful mediation efforts, um ceasefire violations and basically renewed tensions really threaten to reignite uh, military conflicts um military conflict between the countries and, and uh could also you know disrupt oil and gas exports from the region um because you can see uh azerbaijan really produces around you know eight thousand barrels um eight hundred thousand barrels of oil um per day and basically is one of the main um, oil and gas exporters, you know, to Central Asia and Europe. So you have all these variables going into one conflict and um, it will be really, really interesting how this turns out and, um, you know, what efforts are going into uh, the conflict right now, trying to ease tensions, but at the same time, you have to look at all the other countries involved. Right. 
And I think this is um this conflict really being renewed has been kind of overshadowed in the media by the more uh, dominant Ukraine issue. Although it's kind of interesting because here there is actual fighting going on at this moment, whereas over there in uh in Ukraine it hasn't started yet necessarily. So I think it's interesting how this uh, situation draws up because one major trigger of it is that Ilham Aliyev, president of Azerbaijan, has actually openly made comments suggesting that Sunik, which is the the southernmost part of Armenia, which is what separates Nakhchivan from the rest of contiguous Azerbaijan, he said he alleged it was historical Azerbaijani territory and that which basically implies like we have our sights on it type thing. So I think this is making a lot of people in Armenia kind of wonder when will the insatiable hunger for territory end with the Azerbaijani government. And it might be entirely possible that the Azerbaijani people, they want an end to war, whereas the government is just hungrily pushing for it to possibly cover up with more issues. But we don't really know because this isn't a well-covered issue at the moment, um, this current conflict. And it'll be uh, interesting to see how it lasts because this has lasted for seven months in multiple regions without necessarily escalating. So perhaps it might escalate, perhaps it might de-escalate. We're not really sure. And um, it doesn't look like the situation is very uh, uh, great, going great for Armenia. Rather, Azerbaijan has kind of asserted itself as a you could say minor power in the region. So we'll have to see how this develops. So yeah, um, uh, everyone, uh, thank you for uh, listening to this uh, podcast. Um, uh, we're very, we appreciate um, you, you know, setting out the time. And uh, yeah. so thank you everybody for listening. Make sure to check out our uh, website um, at TotDiplomacy.com and our uh, Instagram, TotDiplomacy. And uh, thank you all for listening and tune into our next episode.